Alright, cool. It is Tuesday night, a uh, couple nights before uh, Halloween. <clears throat> um, with Brendan Hunt. Brendan, who is now, uh, he's evacuated to Michigan. Um, evacuated, yeah. He's that's ev- it. evacuated <laughs> to Michigan. Uh, he, he I got went- snow coming Saturday, man. Not yeah. looking forward to it. Oh, it's going to be Well, awesome. it's, it's been on and off saying that it might snow. But. Yeah, we, we had rain today. That's about as close as we're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, Brendan, uh, Brendan, uh, as I'm sure everybody knows, um, coached Langham Creek up through last season. Uh, Langham Creek, for, for, for me and my boys at Magnolia, Langham Creek was always a big game, big rivalry. That was always the game that we, I say always, the last two seasons, those were the, those were the games we measured ourselves against were, were Langham Creek. Um, so I'm excited to have Brendan. What's great, what's great about Brendan is he's, he's cut his ties, severed his ties completely with Texas lacrosse. Moved up to Michigan, right? <laughs> so, uh, so I'm sure you'll have an exciting and hot take about Texas lacrosse since you since there's no strings oh, attached. Yeah, yeah. Always, um, yeah. always. The uh, the other interesting thing I I, I I tried to get off on a tangent and didn't quite do it um, on the on Halloween. I actually am interviewing Chris Arnold, which I thought would be funny. Mm. He he wanted to know if he could drink alcohol and, and make funny faces and funny noises and funny voices. On Halloween for the interview, so I thought everybody that should that should be good. Looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, oh, and here's <clears throat> another tidbit for you too. Actually, all your Southwestern boys. Um, I you know I was talking with Alvarado or um, one of them. I got an awesome group chat with those goofballs. Um, did you see their latest development? By the way, the mustaches. I think I saw a picture of them at their. They had a scrimmage. Mm. Southwestern had a scrimmage. I think last yeah. weekend. Yeah. And I think I saw a picture of that. Was it five or six? Right of, yep. of them. And I think I saw some mustaches in that group. That was yeah. Well, was I think some of them may have had to use. You didn't hear this from me, um, but they may have to use some dye on those to get them to really show up well. <laughs> but uh, I won't put them on blast anymore. I promise. <laughs> that's awesome so yeah. so you, you'll appreciate this then um i think the plan right now is when they come down for thanksgiving oh no, okay. no it's this it's this coming weekend because they have their alumni game so, yeah that's right we so, do yeah so when they come down this weekend for the alumni game i'm going to get all of those jokers in a room together for the yeah. podcast so that should be, be awesome absolute yeah. chaos right uh, they're a they're a really interesting group, and they've obviously run the gamut of experiences, kind of all over the place, um, with recruiting and uh, with uh, I mean, just kind of everywhere. It's 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 a an awesome awesome group. Yeah, it it should be fun. I, Will actually hit me up about it, and he's the one who suggested it. And I said, so Will, let me make sure I understand you. You're suggesting <laughs> that all of you get together at the same time with me to record an interview. <laughs> And he yeah. said, "He said, yeah." And I said, "That sounds like complete chaos." Yes, I'm in. It'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. All right. Absolutely. So I apologize, man. We're like two minutes in. We're always already off on a tangent. That's it's how all this good. Always works, dude. So you know, the same format as always. And I, 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 you know, I halfway joking when I when I introduced you and, and, and talked about, you know, now that you're no longer in Texas, I'm sure you've got a hot take. I'm honestly kind of hopeful that now that you're no longer in Texas, you've got a hot take. So I'm hoping <laughs> I'm hoping it will get to the end of this, and you're like going to have some revelation about governance of the game in Texas, and you know have some terrifying pictures or or or, 
or skeletons in the closet about members of the THSL board, and we can just get crazy, Man. right? <laughs> so, you uh, <laughs> you clearly think I'm way too involved in, in the in my say means way more in government <laughs> for the THSL than it does. But hey, I do. Uh, I have some opinions for sure. Awesome. For sure, for sure. I think um, obviously being involved in that league for the time I was, uh, you just get to kind of understand some different things, um, and you're able to uh, to kind of come up with some plans. And I mean. Langham is one of those situations that I find uh, is very unique where you take a, a lot of different variables into consideration for a team like Langham um, in terms of where they came from, in terms of where they're at now and kind of keep them at that level and what's best uh, based on their population. But we can get into all that later. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so let's start with how you or how you came to the game, right? I, I, yeah. I, the only thing... The, the only history of yours I'm aware of is, you know, you went to Michigan State and you played at Michigan State, right? I don't know anything yeah. before that or even if there is something right. before that, right? So, so man, yeah. go, all, go all the way back to the beginning. I always, I'm always interested to hear how people came to the game and, like, what role, like, your parents and your friends and your brothers, right? right. How, what, what was the mix that got you involved in lacrosse, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, um, you won't hear anything about my brothers because I don't have any. Um, but uh, so I was in a freshman in high school, and I, I went to a private school called De La Salle, uh, and that's in Warren. And my middle school didn't have lacrosse. It was, like, just starting to kind of come up. And my homeroom teacher uh, as a freshman knew I had played football and knew I played basketball, and I didn't play a spring sport. Uh, and he's like, he was the freshman lacrosse coach. And he said, come, come try lacrosse. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and he had one of those old traditional, uh, just traditional wooden sticks, um, that he like kept around in his uh, classroom and everything. Um, he's like, just give me one day. I was like more than anything, just to shut him up. I was like, all right, fine, whatever. And, uh, I think it starts, it starts like early March, like the second week of March is when lacrosse starts in Michigan. Um, and so there was like snow on the ground and it was crazy. And they were like, all right, we're going to go into the gym. Well, there was, it was an all boys school. Um, so there was like 60 of us that had gone to try out for this lacrosse team. And as you can imagine, I, I think two of them had ever played before. Uh, so 60 of us with brand new sticks and, uh, helmets on in an indoor gym, and all of these lacrosse balls are just going every which way, like an absolute disaster. And I think the whole goal for like the first 10 minutes might have been to just like keep it on the ground and like roll it back and forth to each other. Um, I think it lasted probably 10 seconds before they just started going off the wall and off people's heads. Um, and I think it was it drew. I was drawn to it uh, mainly because of the challenge. Um, I had, like I said, I, I played other sports. I had played like almost every sport possible, but I really hadn't been challenged like day one like that with anything else. So it wasn't so much uh, so the, at that point, it wasn't so much the sport itself. It was just the fact that it was a, a new sport. Is that yeah, accurate? Yeah. It was something. Yeah, it really was. It was like something new, something to try out. Let's kind of figure out how we do this. Um, and so I gave it a shot and then I immediately, our, our defensive coach grabbed me and was like, I've seen you play basketball. You're going to play defense. And I'm like, I don't know any of these positions. So sure. That sounds good to me. Um, 
And so I just played defense. Um, and it was, it was a blast. Like I had such a good time that first season uh, that when I transferred out of DLSL, I decided that I should uh, do it at uh, Stony Creek as well. And when I was at Stony, it was actually a unified team with three high schools. So, so the, the first, and I forgot, I, I apologize. I, I, I made a note of the school name and I can't even read it. Um, De La Salle. So that's a private school, right? It is a private school. Is it, was it known for lacrosse? Um, I won't say point? known, but it was pretty good. Um, it was a pretty good lacrosse program. Uh, they, they compete in the same league as brother rice. So obviously brother rice right. dominates that league. Yeah. And then just uh, the past two years, um, Catholic Central has also, not even two, for a long time, Catholic Central has always challenged them. Um, they finally have gotten over the hump. But, yeah, so at De La Salle, it, w- it was just kind of like the introduction. And I honestly met probably one of the most influential figures in terms of lacrosse uh, for that within that year, and his name is Mike Jolly. Uh, Mike Jolly is a legend in the state of Michigan for lacrosse. Uh, he's still at De La Salle. Uh, he is like an absolutely incredible, incredible human being. Um, and he kind of helped put me on a path. So even when I transferred out to Stony, he would still invite me back, took me out to uh, FCA camp um, with a bunch of other De La Salle kids. Uh, that was a blast. Um, but yeah, so I, I started the recruiting thing uh, mainly because I figured it was kind of like my best shot to play um, athletics in college. And so I had a, some couple offers out, out East. Uh, I had an, like a, a preferred walk on spot in a couple places. I had an offer at man, Manhattan. Um, but I just really didn't feel, I, I took a couple tours out to some D three schools out East in Boston and it just wasn't the right fit. It wasn't the right vibe. Um, so just, it, just quick, what was, so you you switched schools, right? You went from yeah. You went to Stony. Yeah. Mike Jolly did, did he did he continue to play a role in that recruiting? Yeah. Or so what? yeah. So Mike Jolly, um, he he just kind of like we just kept in touch, and it, even to this day, Mike and I still keep in touch. Uh, every year, he invites me out to go and help at FCA camp if I'm interested. Even while I was down in Texas. Um, when Lax Power was still around, he would follow us on Lax Power, us being Langley Creek, and shoot me a quick little message and say like, "Hey, checking in on your season. Saw you guys are six and two. Looked like you had some close games. Um, here's how we're kind of projected to do this year. Um, next time you're in town, let's let's grab uh, grab a drink or whatever." Um, and he's just to this day. Um, just a, a huge, a vastly, vastly important figure to me in the lacrosse world. He's actually a Michigan State alum as well. And he uh, was a member of the program when it was Division One back uh, years ago before the Title IX stuff And so he's still uh, actively involved in the Michigan State lacrosse alumni stuff. Um, and he, yeah, I mean, he's involved everywhere, absolutely everywhere. So what did your Stony coach did that coach have a role in your recruiting as well? Or was it really just this relationship with Jolly that, that, that you leveraged for that recruiting? Oh, did we lose you? You just cut out on me. I, I lost you. Can you hear me? 
Yeah, you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yep, we're good now. Right. I don't know what happened there. Yeah, who knows? It's Michigan. There's no telling. That's true. Yeah, it's probably. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm shocked that y'all have internet connectivity there, frankly. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, I mean, too much further north, you're in another country. So. I know, right? And we know that. So, could you say that one more time? Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I'm just interested because it, I mean, it, it, it sounded like Jolly was such a big influence on you. Did did your Stony coach have any role in your recruiting process at all, or was it all Jolly? Honestly, so there, there's not my head coach at Stony. Um, it really wasn't at that time. Like Stony wasn't a big place to go get recruited or anything like that. It, so it's it was kind of like playing um, at just like some of these smaller schools down in Texas, even. Um, where like, you're not going to get coaches coming to your games or anything, right? but so you're going to have to go put yourself out there. And and it really wasn't, it wasn't really big in terms of, I I don't even know if participation wise or how how we want to justify like big, but recruiting wasn't really big. So that's why when I was going out to the, the East coast, it was like, it was crazy cool because that was a completely different environment than, than what I was used to. And there were a bunch of coaches there doing a bunch of different stuff. So, um, you, so really, unless you were at one of the the top tier private schools, uh, you really weren't you weren't getting that. So was was there a? It sounds like maybe you're young enough that at this point during your career there was a legitimate club scene, right? In the off season that you were that you were leveraging or not? So there was no. It wasn't club based stuff. Um, I do think there were probably a couple of club teams. Like now that I understand the landscape a little bit better. Um, but I would play just like local rec leagues. Uh, there was huge rec league. So it was a, a league called champion, um, which was run out of Birmingham. So which had the Birmingham kids. It had the brother rice kids. It had gross point kids, um, from all the private schools. And that was a, a highly competitive league, uh, where you, if you got to play up in like the, the upper division, there was some top tier talent there, uh, that was all across the D one board. Um, playing in that league and that was just all local run out of a high school um and then uh i think i mean maybe there was like eight teams in that league at one point in time oh wow just for yeah for like summer ball stuff and you didn't know anybody generally um unless you like requested to be on a team and then in the winter time you go play in the like in the golf domes what so what is, okay i'm gonna go out on a limb here what's a golf dome so at a driving range, right? <laughs> they put the dome over the top of it, like the Texans practice facility. And so in Michigan, you can't play, obviously, uh, on like in the winter time on the grass. So you play inside in the dome. In the golf dome, I like it. In the golf dome, yeah, yeah. All right. So now go back. Sorry, go back to your your recruiting process now sorry you, you said you'd visited some d3 schools yeah. and, and so my recruiting process started at fca camp um and that was out in uh, out in hobart and when i was there i chatted with uh, a guy from gordon college out in boston uh he was the head coach there he was also like our like small group leader there and i was like wait a minute like you can actually i, I didn't really like think about it like that that it would be like a national thing i never really thought about it like that uh, so when I started getting interest from him, I was like, well, I should go and evaluate some other opportunities. So I actually went to Blue Chip. Um, and at that point in time, that was an absolutely crazy experience in terms of talent because it just wasn't something that I was 
like used to seeing on a consistent basis. Like you knew everybody was good on certain teams, like the brother Rices and Steph, uh, but you really didn't like understand the East Coast side of things until you went out there. Uh, so I met a few other coaches there, um, just expressed some interest at some different places to see kind of where I could go, uh, and just kind of ran with it really. Uh, so I, like I said, I took the tour out to Boston, uh, twice Gordon college, Clark college. Uh, I think there was another one out there too. I know that was still in the, the Boston area. Um, and then I chatted with some different coaches at the D one level. Uh, and it was just one of those situations that I didn't feel um, super strongly about. And in my senior year of high school, I actually uh, got into a peer tutoring course. Um, and that kind of made me want to go into education. And I knew Michigan State had a killer education school. Uh, and I said, OK, let's let's just go that route uh, and see see what that's like. And so it was one of those situations where um, I decided – first and then lacrosse came after rather than going the lacrosse route really right right so was at that point was i'm not going to pretend to know any history about the michigan state team right so yeah. at, at that when did it become an mcla team right because at some point i think you said it was a sanctioned team right yeah it, so it was definitely a um it was a sanctioned team ncaa sport um up until the exact year I'm unsure of, but I know it's a Title IX issue uh, when they decided to remove that. So um, from there, really, it's been MCLA ever since. And with that, uh, obviously, it's all like self-funded, um, and there were there were teams that started to get their money right, and you start to see some of the matriculation from. Uh, the MCLA into the D1 stuff or whatever division they would be in in terms of NCAA recognition there. Uh, So in terms of the exact year, I don't really know. Uh, But while we were there, we actually had multiple talks with the athletic department and with the different sports directors at Michigan State to try and say, hey, what do we have to do to get this program to go D1? Um, Because while we were there, Michigan was in the process of doing it. Yeah, I was about so to say, what was the what time frame was this? What years was this? Yeah, so our this was uh, 2007 to 2011, and so I believe Michigan's first season in the NCAA was 2011, um, and so like we had seen them do it, but they were on in terms of the the funding and what they received, they were just on a completely different level than what we were at. Um, I always make the joke, but it's a true joke that they literally had a mouth guard trainer. Um, I don't even know if, if most D one programs have that now. Um, but at the club level, Michigan had a mouth guard trainer and it was like their sole job to keep their mouth guards, which were numbered by the way, in like this little like tackle box looking thing. And like before the game, she would like go down the line and like give them all their mouth guard. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And so, but I mean, it just goes to show you like financially, they just had a a different level of things, you know? Um, And I mean, no fault to them. It's just how, how the cookie crumbled with them. And so they were able to to go ahead and and receive some huge donations and, and take it to that D1 level. 
uh, when we were having those discussions with uh, Michigan State, they, or the original number to us was $10 million, is that we needed to raise $10 million because that would start an endowment to allow the program to continue with scholarship funds and everything uh, for X amount of years. I don't remember that exact number. but So how does – that's an interesting perspective because – you know, I've, I've talked to a number of folk, number of folks here locally. You know, Tim Hilby's one of them. Uh, Nick, yeah, right. That that played on MCLA teams here in Texas and in Houston, right? Yeah. And the the teams here in Texas. I mean, I, I think of you know Sam Houston, U of H, right? There's a laundry list of these teams that they exist for three or four years and they disappear for two years. Then they yeah. pop back up for a couple of years and they disappear, right? So it yep. it sounds like at Michigan State. There's been a pretty consistent presence with that team. Oh, there has. What's, yeah. What's, what's the secret, right? There, there, there's something that, you know, at, at the MCLA level that we're not doing here in Texas and in Houston with these teams that they're doing properly at Michigan State. What is that? Right. That's a great question, to be honest with you. I, I don't know that answer. Um, and maybe it's because I wasn't involved with, um, with it down there. Like I wasn't involved in MCLA stuff down there. Uh, so, so I don't know what was different, but I will say that like the UTs and the A and M's, we played UT in the national tournament once, maybe even twice. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, it, it it was it was competitive. You know, it was definitely competitive. So I'm not. I do think though, in in terms of consistency, is that there was I think our class and and the group before us uh, was kind of like a springboard to get things really going and moving in the right direction. Um, and I think it's one of those things that once that train starts, uh, it's easy to keep going. Uh, but you got to figure too, like this is, it's student run stuff in terms of the MCLA level. It, it's these, it's kids essentially college right. kids starting a club team, you know? And so if you have that, I think that's why you see them pop up and not because if you have a group, but they don't instill the leadership behind them or they don't have the facilities to um, get that running continuously, I mean, it's it's tough. It's super tough. Um, I was vice president of that program for, I think it was two years or whatever it was. Um, and then my, my buddy who um, I roomed with in college was uh, our treasurer. And, I mean, us two in a, a rented college house – trying to crunch numbers and figure out dues and travel and all this stuff. I mean, it was just like thinking on it now, it's like the fact that that team existed and did as well as it did more power to them. Um, but you look now in, in, I mean, Michigan state has a huge social media presence. Everything looks very professional. Um, the, the way I, I think DJ, obviously last year, DJ did a, a heck of a job and Cam the year before him did a heck of a job leading them to uh, a national title at the MCLA. So um, it's just one of those things that takes, it takes the right people in the right spot oh, uh, year over year. And now I think they're at the point where, where it's just kind of, it's a huge train in motion. What, what role do you think maybe, and, I, and I'm saying this not knowing was there consistency at the coaching position? And if there was, what, what was, was there, was there, was that play a role in this, you think? And in, in the, in the, in that consistency year to year for the team? Absolutely not. Um, no? there was a set of consistency uh, in terms of coaching. Um, I 
when I was on that team, the day before fall ball started, our head coach left and he went to uh, University of Detroit Mercy to start that program, D1. From there, we had two other um, coaches for that year that just kind of like filled in. And then we went and hired a guy who we love, Dwayne Hicks. Uh, he still runs. He runs Team Total and some of the other uh, things out on um, in like the Wixom area of Michigan. And so he coached with us for a while. Uh, Chris Cooper was involved with us for a little while. Um, and then you look in the past three years right now, Michigan State has had three different head coaches um, where they won the national title. Uh, he left. DJ stepped in. Uh, DJ left to go take a job at Florida Southern, I think. I think it's Florida Southern, a D2 down there. Um, and now they're, they got a, a third head coach in three years. And they've been at a, a pretty high level since. So, yeah, I mean, how does that work, right? That's completely, at least in my brain, right? I've, as much as I've coached or administered or whatever yeah. I've done with teams, right? One of the one of my my principles has always been consistency at the at the coach at the coaching level, right? right? That there's value right. in that and that's meaningful. Yeah. But I mean, everything you just told me runs in the face completely in the face of that, right? I mean, how, how yeah. is that? You know, I, that's a great question. Um, I think that it's, it's one of those things that because it's student run, um, in, I mean, we had, there were so many kids at tryouts and I'm assuming that it's probably the same way there now. And it might even be like an invite only type tryout, um, where you're still, I mean, these teams are still like actively asking and actively you can call it recruiting, whatever you want. Um, but a majority of them are still actively inviting people to come out and, and play for them. Um, and I don't know that that's always the case at other club teams, right? It, it's a lot. I mean, you can have a kid transfer. Um, well, we, I mean, even while I was there, we had a kid transfer from uh, limestone. Um, and my buddy transferred from Syracuse and we got them to play though. And I can't even imagine how many athletes are sitting in college somewhere, uh, and that their school has a club team, but they're not playing on it. Right. You know what I mean? So I think it's more of the getting something going and being an established university, uh, that allows them to do that. I don't, it, the, the coaching helps. There's no doubt about it. But in terms of, um, consistency at the coaching level i mean who's to say that they wouldn't have been better if these coaches didn't stay for multiple years running um i, I don't know i don't know how many how many mc how many other mcla schools are there in michigan I mean, is, oh, is it a function of hey there's only two alternatives in the state of michigan no. and, and they're getting they're those are the two getting the boys right no i mean <clears throat> so there's university of michigan as d1 right there's um University of Detroit Mercy, also D1. Uh, there's uh, Kalamazoo, actually, I just saw. Kalamazoo College, out on the west side of the state, is actually going down to play Southwestern this year. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I was hopped on the uh, that Southwestern schedule, and I saw Kalamazoo, and I was like, that can't be the same one. And sure enough, it is. So a recruiting trip for Kalamazoo. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. And I didn't even know that Kalamazoo ended up going up D3. Um, there are so many schools, and I, this is one of the things that I need to, to check out, but like Adrian, Albion, 
um, and a bunch of these other smaller schools that are at the D3, D2 level, Alma. Um, and then there's still a bunch of MCLA options. Right? There's a, a college right down the street from me, Oakland University, MCLA, uh, Univ- or Michigan State, MCLA, Central Michigan, MCLA, Western Michigan, wow. MCLA. So there's, there's no shortage, right? It's not like... Oh, absolutely okay. not. Wow, okay. Yeah, right. I bet, I mean, I would think... I'm going to throw a crazy number out there, but there there might be like 20 in terms of if you're looking at MCLA and NCAA. Wow. All right. Yeah. yeah There's a lot surprising. of colleges in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. That's surprising. So yeah. I, believe you, I, had, I felt like I had developed during that discussion about Michigan State three or four really solid theories, all of which you blew out of the water, so... <laughs> yeah the coaching consistency one i mean that would it would make the most sense to me for sure and then all of a sudden it's like well we didn't really have it so i i don't know like three years is like super consistent that was awesome you made me call yeah. the question everything thanks a lot yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> so what years were you at michigan state 2007 to 2011 2011 and like you said, 2011-ish, somewhere around there was around the time Michigan, right? Sometime around that, yeah, I can't, I don't think we played them our our senior year. I don't think we played them. Um, so I think that it had to be, had to, had to, had to have been um, our junior year that they went, or 2011 or whatever would have been the first year that they were um, D1. So have you been aware, I mean, you know, based on what you said, it sounds like while you were there, there were some pretty serious discussions between the students and the administration about, hey, how would we yeah. do this, right? Have, have, do you, right? Are you aware of any discussions since then? I'm not. Um, I'm, all, I'm not. I haven't been super involved with them. Uh, now that I'm back here, uh, it's something that I, I can definitely do more of and be more involved and a part of our alumni group, uh, be more active in that. But but I, I haven't really taken the time to actually get involved and do that, though, uh, just yet. Because, I, I mean... You figure I graduated and then I was out of there. So I, I never, I didn't follow it that, as much. I mean, I had bu- uh, buddies, brothers and stuff on the teams, but I really wasn't as involved um, from like a vice president and captain level than just to be removed, you know. And how far are you from Michigan State now? Uh, about an hour 20. Oh, that's not bad. No, it's not bad yeah. at all. Um, at least in Texas terms. I don't know in Michigan terms if that's far. In Texas, that's not yeah, far. yeah. Uh, it's still the same. Still the same. Everything's about a half hour. You just don't take the freeway around here. You just only take side streets. So you get done at Michigan, right? And fill me in between the day you graduated at Michigan and uh, how you landed here, your first coaching gig here in Houston. Right. What what happened so in um, Yeah, I actually, uh, I was at a career fair at Michigan State. And there was just an open table. So I went to go talk with the guy to get a practice interview in, uh, and walked out with a job offer from Cy fair. And I was like, I have no idea where this place is even at. I Googled it. I literally Googled Cypress Fairbanks independent school district. Um, and so I was went over and talked to Kristen and I was like, uh, I just got a job offer in Houston. Like you should go check this out. Um, and so she did, but she got a different interviewer, uh, and it was just like a train wreck. So Texas uses all these different acronyms than Michigan does, uh, specifically with revol- uh, with respect to special education. 
Uh, so Kristen was like, I, I don't know like what you're talking about. And then the lady would tell her and she'd be like, oh yeah, that's such and such. Um, and so she just had a really poor experience with them. And long story short, uh, we, really, we really didn't know like what we were going to do. Um, but I took this offer at Cy Lakes. And uh, the lady who was going to be my special ed person had a son on the Langham Creek team. And she said, are you interested? I know they want to start a middle school program. And I was like, all right, whatever. Like, let's do it. Uh, so I met with Ben. And uh, I'll never forget that I was going to I was going to go meet with Dyer and we were at um, that old Cypress Station Grill <clears throat> right on the corner there. Yeah, yeah. Right yeah, near, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Near the railroad track, yeah. right? Yeah, yep, yeah. Yep, <laughs> yep. And I'll never forget as I was like about to leave because I lived right down the street from it. I uh, I got a text from Ben that goes, uh, I'm the one in the Hawaiian shirt. And I was like, am I going on like a blind date right now? Like, what is going on? Like, this is so crazy. So I uh, show up and he starts talking to me about this middle school program. I was like, all right, like how many guys we got? He's like, oh, about six. Oh, okay. We're doing a different <laughs> um, So They didn't tell you, they didn't tell you uh, that you'd be building the team. They just, they, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and then it just kind of like took off from there. I, I'll never forget the first game I ever coached was, uh, I think against Siena. Um, and I had 11 guys and I had the Siena coach like call timeouts for me. And by the way, 11 guys. And I think two of them had ever played before. Uh, please, please tell me you were playing, you were coaching against Glenn Reitman in that game. Oh, I don't think so. No. I don't, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> No, it was like, I looked over at him. I had a kid like practically crawl off the field and he was a cross country runner. Um, and so I looked over and I was like, would, would you mind calling a timeout for me for a minute? <laughs> so he did. He did. I remember I asked somebody else to call a timeout for me. So, so this, so this, this middle school team, right? It was middle school. Is that correct? Yeah. So this yeah. middle school team was a direct feeder to Langham Creek, or was this affiliated with Ironman? I, I'm, I'm, no, my history here is a little weird. Yeah, this was a direct Langham feed. This is the first ever Langham Middle School team. Okay, all right. Uh, that I just was like thrown into essentially with GHYLA, uh, and then it was like, all right, like sure, we'll keep doing this and keep doing this, and um, it was a blast, man. Like I, I had never thought really about how that works uh, in terms of like, how do you teach a sixth grader to throw a ball? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, just do this. And it's like, Oh no, 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 no. Let's, uh, let's revisit how to do that. <laughs> so what, so, okay, here's a good question. So you went to college to study education, right? You, now you're, yeah. you're, you're teaching, right? Yeah. So, you know, how, how much of it, it's interesting because like when I, when I talked to Platt, right. And some of the other folks, Right. Y'all, y'all are educators, right? And and and, and yeah. Donnelly, you're, you're you're educators first and foremost, and that plays directly into your coaching, right? So here you yeah. are in this position trying to keep teach a, a sixth grader how to throw and catch a ball, right? How, yeah. How, how did your how did your training and education play into that coaching experience? So it's funny. I actually I think about that all the time, um, and I think it it won in terms of my background to special ed I, I think it's something that patience wise I think w- was something that I, I developed uh, 
to just kind of let it run its course. And I think that that's reflected in my coaching style. Like I'm not, I'm not that like yelly coach because I understand that it's going to take time with these kids. I understand that it's like, it's just going to be a little bit different. Um, and in terms of the education of like scaffolding things, right? Like, okay, this is a high level skill. How do we get it to a lower level skill? And what's even the more basic components of that? So to like backwards scaffold that skill uh, to know that, Hey, you can't run a pick and roll, right? If you can't cradle, if you can't, pass right if you can't do this or whatever um and so there's, there's all many all these prerequisite skills that need to go into play uh in order to do that so it's um i definitely think education played a part in that do you think without that education background you would have been successful as a coach or did it, it, did you really feel like that played an important role no honestly i i think it, it's one of those things that i i don't think it was um I think it helps, right? I don't think it's the end-all, be-all by any means. I know there's there's plenty of coaches that don't have an education background. Um, but I, I do, I, I think it helped. More specifically in the, the Texas case, I think it helped being a teacher in the school. Um, that was one of the main reasons that I wanted to get over to Lancaster Creek from Cy Lakes was because it, you needed to, to be involved in that situation and in that program as much as you possibly could and build the relationship with some exterior components um, in order to really be successful. Yeah. You know? it's, it's interesting. You mentioned that because the, you know, the, the, the other two educators, right. That I, that I mentioned, and I haven't put David Cohn in that group too, but, yeah. but Platt and Donnelly, right, man, they, they both talked a lot about the access they have to the boys outside of just practice. Right. Whether, I it's, tell you, yeah. whether it's lunchtime or, you know, during free periods during the day or immediately before or after school, right? They, yeah. These coaches who are great coaches and great educators, right? They really leverage the, the, the full time that they have available with these boys, right? Right. So if, if you knew anything about my schedule in Houston, um, I made a decision that I, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't work out after practice anymore. Uh, so I had to start going before practice or I'm sorry, before school. So I'd, I'd go to the gym in the morning and I'd be uh, at school pretty early. And the time between when I got to school then and when that first bell rang was oftentimes I felt even more valuable than the time we spelt, spent on the field that day. Um, because even as much as this past year, we would have, there would be like all 30 of them that went to Langham or 20 of them or whatever that went to Langham. Um, in my room in the morning. And it was just like, it was fun. There was no lacrosse being done. They didn't have to be anywhere. They may, may have been getting some work done. Um, sometimes they were just chilling. But you get to see a totally different side of them, and you get to, to build with them as a person and, and see that aspect. And I just think that that alone goes a long way to when you, you, um, you ask them to do stuff on the field for, for each other. And it's like, just hang out for an hour a day and you don't even have to, right, you know? Right. So like you're just creating that, that, that sense of team, that sense of community. And it's also a huge springboard to say, Hey, you said your buddy was interested, right? Bring him in here in the morning for 10 minutes. Like let's bring your stick in. Let's screw around in here for 10 minutes. See what he does. See if he likes it, get him out to a practice. So I think it's a huge recruiting tool if you use it right too. Yeah. And I mean, I, I can speak to, 
to your success in that regard firsthand, right? Because I, I know your boys. And, and, yeah. and I know yeah. the bond that they have. And I know the bond, that group that just went off to Southwestern, that, that group that can't cut the communal umbilical cord there. That, that, that group and, and your bond, not, not only that group and the bond that they have, but your bond with that group of boys, right? So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a testament to, to everything that you just mentioned, right? It's, um, yeah. I mean, like I said, that, that group uh, is so, so cool to be a part of. I, um, I don't even know. I mean, me and my buddies all have a group chat together and stuff, too. Um, and we all stay in touch, you know, standing up in each other's weddings and everything. Um, but it's a totally different vibe, but, but almost as meaningful vibe to have that, uh, with them too, because it's been, it's been such a process with them. You know, like you got to see some of these kids pick up their first stick and then you get to see them sign a a college letter of intent. Like that is super, super cool when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. So So not to take anything away from them because obviously they all have, uh, They've all gone their own path and put in hours and hours and hours on their own. Um, and it's just been, but it's been a, a blast to obviously watch them. So how long were you with the middle school program? What, what years? Uh, I would have been with the middle school program then fall of 2012. Uh, maybe the through spring of 2014-ish. And then I had like a, yeah, so... Maybe three years. So what did you, what kind of growth did you see during those three years with numbers at that, at that age group? Um, more than 11. I know we had more than 11. <laughs> um, so, you can only yeah. go up from there. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we, we were at the point where we, we were able to have uh, a couple separate teams um, where we had that like, upper middle school, lower middle school type deal. Um, but we never really got higher than that. And that, it was always like the, the hurdle, you know, is like, can you get it to individual grade levels? You get just a sixth grade, just a seventh grade, just an eighth grade. Um, and I think it was more of a, I mean, everybody we brought into that area was so new to the game. Um, it, it was just a very different, a different recruiting aspect. You know, it was like, okay, who do you know that might be interested to do this? As opposed to going out and actively being like, hey, here's a team that's had some success. Here's um, some things you might want to be a part of. Like, does this sound like you might be interested? Uh, I think those are two different, like, recruiting standpoints. And um, that need to be, obviously, exploited when you're growing programs. Yeah, did you... During those years, did you have the opportunity? It's interesting. Those years to me are interesting in Houston because I still think that I hate the word momentum because it's a dumb word and I'm not sure it means anything, but um, I still feel like there was some momentum for the sport, right? There, There was still some just straight up organic growth that was occurring, in my opinion, during those years in the sport here locally, right? So, absolutely. Was, was, you know, was, was that just organic growth? Were y'all out pounding the pavement, having clinics? Were you going to little league football games? Right. What, what were some of the tactics? There were, you used? I, I mean, there were definitely, there were parents that were doing that. I'll, I'll be honest. If there was one thing that, that I probably should have done more of is would have been to like, just go out there like every Saturday morning and be like, look, you have to bring one friend out here. Right. Or just done 
something like every morning um, in, on, on the weekend and just to try and get more and more to catch on. Because um, I just don't know. You can only do ask parents to do so much, right? Right. Um, and then you, you also have the price tag that comes along with a sport like lacrosse. It's not like going and picking up a basketball and you're down 20 bucks and can use the same shoes, right, to start. It's it's making a decent investment to, to start, um, which is awesome. Like guys like Zach and everything that are doing this uh, trilax with U.S. lacrosse and the first stick stuff and all that, uh, <clears throat> there's got to be more of that, but it's got to be used in the right way. Yeah. So when – so it sounds like 20 – you say 2014, somewhere around there was when you finished up there? Yeah, I think it was 2014. So, and you went from there directly to Langham Creek High School? Yeah, yeah. So, so how um, did how did year? Yeah, how did that happen? Uh, I mean, was that just kind of that a natural? Was a, no, it was just a conversation that I had. I I, I knew I had um, I wanted to do high school, um, and so I just kind of talked, and then and I had talked with Ben and stuff too, um, and Ben had Tate there uh, still, um, and then Ben was able to enjoy Tate's senior year, um, but with watching and stuff, and I, it was just a. I was excited to for, for the opportunity more than anything else. Um, but I was able to just kind of talk to them and be like, look, I, I want this. Like, I, I want to go to high school. Like, it's an opportunity to. And they, they let me. So. How, how many boys did you get to take with you from maybe like that seventh and eighth grade team, that middle school team, yeah. to their freshman year? So, right? Right. So that, um, that group with uh, Austin Thompson, I lost one year with. Um, but the group of, uh, like Zach Wardlow, Chris Tyler, um, Spencer was in that group, Blake Rogers, that whole group there, um, was a group that I, I coached for their entire, a majority of them for their entire lacrosse career because I moved up the same year they did. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like TJ, like the TJ Alvarado, uh, Siddeley, all that group. Um, I lost one year with them where they, they were still at middle school, um, and then they came up to me in high school. Was the, was the middle school organization and the high school organization, were they all one organization? Was there, was there one board that governed all that, or were they separate organizations? You know, I tried to stay out of, of the board stuff as much as I could. Um, obviously, that's a, it's a parent-run team, you know, and I have my place as a coach. Um, and I'm totally there for like inner workings of things. Um, but I mean, they, they dictate all of that, you know, they dictate where their money goes. They dictate what the budget looks like. Um, but it's not, that stuff's not up to me. Um, so, um, there, there was communication between the two is my understanding, but I'm, I'm not sure that I don't believe at least that there was ever one unified, like. Langham La Creek lacrosse board, and that was for both teams. Yeah, and what's interesting about that for me is the fact that there was still an Ironman organization, right? And and that you would think that the the Langham Creek middle school team would exist to support the Langham Creek high school team, and that you know one of the one of the the economies of scale, right, so to speak, or benefits of that would be to have a single organization to govern that. Especially right, in, in right. especially in light of the fact that there's this other, 
you know, other organization out there, the Ironman, right? So yeah, that's yeah. interesting that yeah. there would be separate organizations. You know, I and I really I, I don't know why all that happened. Like I, I don't I'm I'm not privy to that information. Um, you know, Ben Ben started this program and Ben Ben just kind of ran with it. Um, and so then when we started this middle school program, I don't know that it was like I said, I wasn't involved with the forming of the board or anything like that. I don't know. It's just like, all right, GHYLA, uh, sure, I'll attend a coach's meeting. Um, yeah, Lori, let's uh, let's talk because you seem pretty involved here. Uh, Jenny Tyler. Um, yeah, so it was just like all these parents that were just kind of like would take these things upon themselves. Thankfully, they did. Um, who essentially moved up with me again to the, the high school level. Um who were absolutely unbelievable in just making things run smoothly. You know, it's just one of those situations. Was the, the Langham Creek board, I, I think I know the answer to this, right? But I'm always interested to find out from coaches. The, the, the Langham Creek board always felt like, and I'm going to, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm answering your question for you, which is the number one rule in journalism that you don't do. The, <laughs> <clears throat> was the Langham Creek board, in your opinion, pretty hands off as, as it related to coaching? Were you, were you kind of given free yeah. reign? And, and it's like, look, anything on the field you deal with, we deal with the administrative yeah. stuff off the field. And, and there's a line there. Yeah. Like they, I, I honestly, like I have been so, so fortunate to work with that board and the, like that core group of people. Um, there are, I would love to figure out like how many hours Lori Thompson and I have spent on the phone together. Um, and I would love to figure out how many hours uh, Jenny Tyler and I have spent on the phone together. But even like, I feel so lucky to get, to have gotten involved in like Langham um, because outside of just like the, <clears throat> excuse me, outside of just the, just the board, like there was so much parent involvement but none of it was like coach micromanaging involvement. Right. It was always, I mean, and, and granted there's, there's a couple dads that would be like, hey, uh, or I noticed that we didn't do X, Y, Z this past game. And uh, was that intentional? And it'd be like, that's a really good question. Like I didn't really pick up on that. And just to have that other set of eyes was like super cool, but it was never of the mindset. Like, Hey, idiot like you should really be doing this you know and, and there's like there's that vibe out there with with parents for sure yeah yeah um, for sure because you, you see it on you see it on other teams it happens um yeah where coaches so, yeah. Where coaches are called in to justify what their offensive scheme is right right that's, that's nuts right right <laughs> so you were at langham for four seasons correct yeah i guess that would have been four seasons Maybe five. You don't know? Because I was there. I mean, we've been there for seven years. So it had to be four. Yeah, it had to be four, four years. Yep. So yep. How, did the, how did the team change over those four years? Did it grow? Did it contract? Did you have a In pretty steady of, so that, core, right? Yeah, that's what's interesting, I think, about the, about the Langham program is that we – Langham's numbers have never been super big. Um, but they've also never been, it, we've never been like in jeopardy of fielding a team, you know? Um, so it, it's like consistently 
we've ridden that border of do we have a JV, don't we have a JV, for I don't know how long now. Ever since I've been involved. Yeah, it's a common uh, that's a common number, right? Where you have like that yeah. thirty eight kids, and you're like, oh, what am I supposed to do with thirty eight kids? Right? Yeah. <laughs> that high? Like, I don't think we've ever been to thirty eight. Um, like we're in between that, like twenty eight. But your twenty eight is like fourteen kids who can absolutely ball. Right. And then your other 14 who want to be involved and you have to show them success if you want them to be involved in the future. Right. But talent wise cannot compete with your top 14. So why, I mean, what you, you know, so you've got a motivated coach, you've got a board, you know, that by all accounts is a great board, hands off, letting the coach take care of his business. Right. They're super supportive. The parents are knowledgeable. You know, why those numbers? Right. You know, I think, yeah, absolutely. So I I think that number is multifaceted. One, if you look at the the Langham Creek population, right, uh, most people don't realize that Langham Creek is like 65 for 70% or some crazy high number of socioeconomically disadvantaged students. And that's wild. When you're trying to, so let's just do that math real quick, right? If you take all those kids out of the equation for being able to afford $650, $750 a year plus equipment plus travel, because let's be honest, if you have a socioeconomic uh, disadvantage, you're probably not shelling out thousands of dollars for sports, especially a new sport that you you really don't know. Um, So you back out even if you backed out 50% of the population from Lyon, uh, you're looking at like 1,700. So then you got to find boys, right? So 1,700 there from there, um, and again, cut it in half, and you're looking at 850. Okay, so you've got 850 boys, but how many of them even know about it, right? How many of them have any interest in it? And... How many of them want to do that when they're playing other stuff, you know? And so I think it's one of those things that has, has been a struggle to grow um, because it, I know you've, you've mentioned this and you've talked about this plenty of times that the growth has to happen at the youth level. You cannot wait for the growth to happen at the high school level. Um, and I think that was part of our efforts. Um, but I do agree with you that the growth has to happen from a bottom-up perspective instead of a top-down perspective. Uh, because I, I do think that once you get people involved in it, then it continues to grow. So, but oh, you're looking at a lot of the a lot of the recruiting that was happening from Langham was happening from one, maybe two elementary. I would say that uh, on Langham's team, like when I was first there, I, I think like 90 plus percent of them were coming from Aragon. And of those kids, I bet 90 plus percent of those kids were coming from Lowry. So it was more like Langham was just an elementary team. We had exercised that out of one elementary as opposed to the, all of the elementaries that feed. So when I when I posed that question, I was making a note to myself there. When I when I posed that question to you, right, it was almost 
almost a negative. It's like, man, your parents are involved. You got a you got a coach who's 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 pumped up, and you're always on the border of you know a, a good solid number, right, for a JV and a varsity team. Right. But maybe the right. perspective is, hey, the reality is, Langham Creek was an an economically disadvantaged population, right? And the reality is, you know, that, that 28 or 30 boys or whatever it was, was actually big time, right? For that school. And, for, and, and, I mean, yeah, for, for what it was, I, I think that, and that's why, and, and we can, we can now get into your state of Houston lacrosse here. I'm, oh, you're not doing video, are you? No, no. So you, the tour of the house, yeah, is not going to show up on the internet. Yeah, I promise. yeah. Well, I had to go get my my charger because it was going to die. <laughs> um, but anyway, so what I was saying though was was that it's I, I struggle with a lot of these arguments for THSOL and the divisions and all that kind of stuff because I you I mean let's just be honest. Let's take the Woodlands, right? You look at the Woodlands and what is the Woodlands socioeconomic disadvantage like what is their percentage of kids who are socioeconomically disadvantaged it's very very small yeah next to nothing very small yeah next to nothing exactly um and more power to them they have you can have the richest school in the world and suck at sports in general right like it doesn't mean anything but we also can't disregard the fact that when you're self-funding everything it helps that's all yeah Uh, so it's easy to say, well, let's just group it by school size. But when you do that and you take Langham Creek and you, a school of 3,600 kids, right? And you put them on the same level as the Woodlands school of similar size, but you're comparing two completely different populations yet asking to do the same thing without providing any funding to them. You're going to get two completely different scenarios. Which is why I think that the the argument for divisions based on school size is wrong for THSLL um, because of, of instances like that. Uh, you get the Westlakes, you get the Highland Parks, you get the Woodlands that have all done a phenomenal job in, in cultivating that environment around their kids. I don't know that you could ever get enough kids to pay the money at Langham Creek out of pocket to have three, four, five high school teams. I just don't know that it's possible. As opposed to if it were state-sanctioned and they provided money, now everybody's got a level playing field, which I think is what you look at with why they're in the same division for basketball and why they're in the same division for football is because the school is funding that. And you're not asking these kids to come out of pocket a substantial amount of money to go be competitive or try new things. Yeah, it's interesting because I think that's a that's a great point because I, I I've contended all along. There's actually some pretty significant economic interests in the status quo, right? Whether it's oh, yeah. the, whether it's the economy that's built up right around the sport here in Texas, or whether yep. it's some of these big clubs. And I'm not disparaging those clubs. Don't get me wrong, right? They're doing phenomenal phenomenal work, and they've got phenomenal teams. But yeah. man, they've got they've got they've got money to throw at the problem, right? They really do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's something, too, that you, you take a look, um, the argument for school size again. <clears throat> if you look at look at somebody like St. John, right? Cone is absolutely killing it at St. John. No ifs, ands, or buts about it, right? And 
they have one of the smallest enrollment K-12 in the entire state or in, in the entire city, but are competing with big, big time players. Okay. And then if you look at um, a place like um, take Pius, for example, right? Larger, but should be competing at what level talent wise, right? Like you don't put Pius up against St. John's. Right. And it's, it's way newer at Pius. Um, Carr is building that they've done substantially better of late. Um, but if you're going based on size, those two teams, St. John is in the lowest division. Right. And so I, I see all these different propositions of, Oh, well you can play up if you want to play up and you can do this if you want to do this. And I, I don't think it should, it should be that way. You know, your division is your division. Um, it, there's no other sport where it's like, well, you can choose. Like, if you want to go, you can do that. Um, and and uh, I don't know. I don't what, know. That's just that. What, you know, so you've hit on one of the, the, the positives for for sanctioning the sport, the sport, right? Which is, yeah. you know, leveling that economic playing field. I've got to move. I've got right. a giant rooster here sitting next to me, and I leaned back, and it was reverberating. Mm. I'll tell you the story about my giant metal rooster one of these other days. Um, right? Yeah. It's so, anything about? So the, the I won't go there. <laughs> so the the, I mean, you know, it's an interesting economic argument for leveling the, the playing field, right? But right. But what what other trade offs are there? Do you think? as it relates to, to sanctioning, right? I mean, you know, for me, a big one. Yeah, and, and, no, absolutely. And people don't want to hear it, but I talk about it a lot, which is, you know, frankly, for me, the, the, the biggest benefit, and you're, honestly, your economic discussion is, is, is a really interesting discussion, but the biggest benefit for me, and you may not even see the benefit because you had such a positive experience at Langham Creek, but the biggest benefit for me is, is getting these teams away from these parent-run boards, Right. I mean, we've all heard horror stories about these parent run boards. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's only going to benefit the sport to, to, you know, you're never going to get the parents completely out of it. Right. Everybody knows the booster clubs, no. the high schools no. and the parent involvement, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah. you know, for the for the parents to be so directly related in just to the day to day operations and the hiring and firing of of coaches. Right. I, I think that, yeah. that that would be really valuable to get that away from parents. Right. That's a, no, that's, it's super. I, I, I get that a hundred percent. Right. I totally get that aspect. Um, I it's, yeah. I mean, I, do you think then let, let's pose the question now, do you feel that there will be, um, athletic departments who are now making those decisions that are not, uh, well equipped enough to make those, those, those types of decisions because of their unfamiliarity in the state of Texas? So, I would take it one step further, and I would also wonder if everybody's going to do what's in the best interests of lacrosse as well. Oh, absolutely! I'll right? answer that for you. Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's I mean, that's, so there, there's a lot of people that talk about sanctioning, and and, and they, they talk about it within the context of, hey, if, if you know the school and the athletic director, if if, if they own it, you know, that they're they're going to want to be competitive and they're going to want their school to shine at the sport and all that other stuff. Are they? There just seems like there's so much resistance to the sport. I mean, I, I can, I, I yep. get, I get that argument. I really do, and I'd like to think it would work. That when you give these folks ownership, you know, a principal and an AD naturally is going to want his his school to be the best at 
you know, fill in the blank, right? Yeah. Underwater yeah. basket weaving, right? Right. But I mean, I don't know. Is is that too big of a leap? I I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't. I. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, I I think you are going to see you're going to see heavy resistance. Uh, Langham was fortunate, I think, uh, that we were able to kind of build a relationship with our AD um, and kind of work our way into some turf fields and things like that. And that alone, right there, I mean, that saves that saves our program a significant chunk of money if we're able to use school provided fields. I mean, we had to rent them. It, it's as crazy as it sounds. We were a school with a sci-fair name that essentially had to rent from SciFair. Every game that we played at Kayla Middle School and stuff, we had to pay field rental fees for every single time. So, I mean, the sanctioning alone cuts cuts that. I also think that if you did sanction it, the access to facilities would allow these kid, the kids to have a significantly greater ease of transition to the collegiate level because i think you'd have the ability to have weight rooms right you'd have the ability to have fields and conditioning times and all this type of stuff um and and that's that's huge like i have at langham there was like eight kids who used the weight room and that's all because they were in other sports it wasn't because langham lacrosse had a a weight room time right you know it was all because they were involved in other things yeah, I had that discussion with uh, Nick Ignatiev at Bel Air, and he had an interesting perspective on that. He said, "Look, we're Bel Air; we're landlocked. We don't have yeah. we don't have resources for the teams that are sanctioned. No. So you add more sanctioned field sports, and the shortage of field space just becomes more critical." Right. So I, I thought that was yeah. a super interesting perspective, right? Because you know everybody in the suburbs is like. Dude, we got we got land coming out our ass, right? You know, just oh, throw, yeah. throw up some lights, mow the grass, and let's go. Nick's yeah. response was, "Man, we've we've only got whatever it was, two fields or something, right?" Yep. And, yep. You know, it, and it's, I don't even think there's our turf. There's our grass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, we I, I talk about that with a lot of folks the 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 burden, the financial burden that field space plays, right? And then the interplay mm-hmm. between field space, cost, lights, and coach availability, right? That, yeah. there's, a, there's a huge yeah. interplay there. Hey, I, I am interested. Man, this is an interesting – this is going to be an interesting question. I hope you know the answer. If you don't know the answer, this whole thing has been for nothing. The, okay. The, <laughs> so you you touched on the relationship with Langham Creek High School, and you touched on the importance yeah. of the fact that you were a teacher there on the faculty at Langham yeah. Creek High School and the importance of – what I assume was a personal relationship that you had, right, with the AD and the coaches there. Mm-hmm. Now that you're gone, right, what what is the state of that? Do they still have the same access? Do they still have the same relationship with the school now that you're gone? Or was all yeah. that really based on your personal relationship? Um, so one of the things that when Kristen and I decided to move, which, by the way, um, I had to type an email to that team because uh, I didn't feel right to uh, just have some of them there to let them know I was leaving. Um, and to type that email was like the hardest thing for sure that I have like ever done. Um, as I like sat out on my back patio in Houston and I made sure Kristen was out of town to do this. So I was all by myself. Um, and it was like one of those situations where like you think back of like what, 
how this all came to be and stuff. And it was uh, a super like surreal kind of experience. Um, that was, that was super, super meaningful to me. Um, but I, I wanted to make sure in, in doing that and leaving a program, right. That you do, especially a program that I spent so much time in, um, you do everything in your physical power to make sure that things continue to run the way that they should run. Uh, because the program means that much. Um, and so, uh, when I knew Seb was taking that job, um, I hopped on the phone with him. Um, I was chatting with Lori, um, and we decided the best way to go about it was that I would send the introduction letter to Todd. Um, and I'd send the introduction letter to our principal, um, and just kind of bridge that gap. Like, Hey, here's what's going on. Um, the team is not like changing in any way, shape or form. Lori was super awesome in saying that she would kind of stay on in an advisory role, even though she doesn't have anybody there anymore. Uh, so that we would continue to keep the, the, the Langham standard of what was going on at Langham Creek high school, um, going on. Um, so even just like up to two weeks ago or whatever, there was varsity jacket sizing. And so I, I just shot, uh, our assistant principal an email and was like, Hey, what's like, how do we problem solve this? What do we do? You know, how do we go about it? Um, and Sebastian was involved and I was involved and the APs at Sy Lakes were involved because Sebastian's at Sy Lakes and, uh, the APs at Langham were involved and we just kind of problem solved through it. And I think that all starts with just having those open communication lines with schools to, to understand where they're coming from and, and where, where the Langham or the lacrosse program is coming from. Yeah. But, um, but, so, but is it, is it, is it, is it that simple I mean, you just, you know, hey, open communication. Is it that simple or, or is it the fact that, that Lori still has to be involved and engaged and you're still involved and engaged? I mean, does that, does that prove my point that you, it's, it's a personal relationship and you guys are the linchpin, you think? No, I, I think the, the, the fact that Lori and I are still involved is from an ease of transition standpoint. Um, I think that, like, if we were to just cut off communication, right? Would it still go on? It could. Would it have to go on? No. Um, but Lori's been involved enough. Noel's been involved enough. I've been involved enough to know that, like, we want it to go on. So right. here's here's how we want it to continue, right? It's it's not that in, – in, honestly, Sebastian we're, – we're fortunate enough that Sebastian is a SciFair employee. And so that will allow him to still be a, a sanctioned school sponsor and all those types of things. Um if if he wasn't involved, I, I don't know where this would be. You know, there would be a different ball game that we'd have to play and see what would be allowed and what wouldn't be, um, and how that would go. Uh, you know, how that all that would all would happen, really. So you see, your involvement and Lori's continued involvement as a as a positive, right? As an adder, as a, as a reflection of y'all's commitment, then really. Hey, we're just trying to keep the keep keep the wheels on, and I'm not I'm being ugly, but you yeah. know what I'm saying, right? It's 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 that's important here though in, in these types of conversations that it's important to one view both sides of the coin, but it's also important to be transparent in all this. Right. And I think you you pose the question of you know is like why are we still involved? Like if there's I mean for example right the f- football coach leaves, next person steps up, and the engine continues to run. Right. Um. Lacrosse, somebody leaves, and it's like, eh, 
I don't know. What's going on here? What's happening next? Right, right. Um, I, I mean, you, you see that across all, all sorts of teams. Look at Bel Air, right? Look at Westside. Westside won a state title in 2008, 2009, yeah. right? In the first few years that I was involved at the varsity level, uh, like Westside was a game that was like a bye week practically. Right. And you were just hoping to make it out of there and not get hurt. Now that Mike's there, um, Mike's kind of turning the tables and these kids are playing all the time and Mike's a super good dude and all that kind of stuff. And you hope to see him get back to that level. But it's, it's one of those things that can go either way. Yeah, it's incredible. That's a those are two really good examples. Um, you know, Bel Air and, and and Nick, right, who who actually played, graduated yeah. and played at at Bel Air and you know, has been pulled back as an alumni to, to coach and, and rebuild that program. And you look back at the history of that program and 10, 12, 25 years ago, right, that was a legitimate team. Bel Air was a legitimate yeah. team. And the same thing with yeah. Westside. I don't think most people locally know the history with Jerry Davis and the history at Westside. And they don't, I don't think most people know what occurred at Westside. Uh, they, they all know, Oh, well, there's this new, you know, uh, uh, bad news bears, almost team that started up at Westside. I think it's been two or three years now or whatever it's been. Right. But they don't realize the yeah. significant history for the city that, 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 that's there. You know, it's, it's crazy. Well, it's huge. I mean, that whole, that whole demographic changed at Westside. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything about that area changed. <clears throat> Yeah, for sure. So, um, so what next? <laughs> so now, what next? Is, yeah, what, what, what next, next for Langham? What next for me? What next? What, for what, what? next? What next for you? Right, and I, I know the answer because we've talked about it. But, um, but what next for you? I think uh, I I said I'm going to take a year. Um, I think one of the I won't call it a mistake because I'm so fortunate for all my experiences there. Um, but I decided when I was coming back here that I wanted to take a year to, to, to kind of navigate the landscape and see like what things are like around here um, rather than just dive right into something. Um, and it's, uh, it was one of those situations, you know, where um, I was happy to be at Royal Oak High School. Um, they're not particularly like known for their lacrosse prowess or anything. Um, and when I got there, I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll just kind of see what the landscape is like. Um, and maybe I'll get involved in a travel team. I love the travel team stuff. Uh, I think that's a blast. Um, and, and maybe be involved in school level too, but we'll just kind of see. Um, I think that it's going to take me, take me that year to, to evaluate it all before I, I make a decision moving forward. Is it, is it a sanctioned sport at, at, in the high schools now in Michigan? Yeah, yeah. Is, so Michigan's okay. been sanctioned for uh, a while now, um, but you're not required to be a teacher in order to coach it. So our lacrosse coach is not a teacher at the high school. Not not an employee of the school district at all. So he's technically an employee of the school district, but simply as a lacrosse coach. So he still has to go through like the background check and like all that kind of stuff. But he doesn't work like at the middle school. Or he doesn't work at the elementary school. Is is that the same for all sports in Michigan, or is that specific to lacrosse? Can be. Uh, no, it can be. It can be. Uh, so okay. Like our basketball. Yeah, our basketball coach is also not a um, not a teacher at the school. That's interesting. Yeah, because the the discussion here in Texas, right? The, the sanctioning discussion inevitably leads to a discussion about coaching, which. 
Okay, yeah. People people get some religion about one way or the other on that topic for some reason. And well, there's a lot of people getting paid big bucks. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> the you know the, the the idea that you know from for the for the the good of the sport, right? The idea that there's got to be maybe at least at the very least some kind of handoff, right? Right. So you know some right. kind of overlap. I think water polo is the most recent example here in Texas, and I think there is some kind of overlap where there's some kind of handoff for two or three seasons, right? And that's why I was interested in the Michigan model, if that was, you know, part of the, the transition. But it sounds like all sports are like that in Michigan. And that's really interesting. That You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I've never I've never known a head football coach that's not. Um, but there are many of our assistant football coaches who are, are the same way. They are not employees at the school. Wow. So that's I would assume that it would be all all coaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, because there's got to be got to be. There's a million different ways to crack that nut, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Know, folks around here get hung up on the the big salaries and the the uh, mm-hmm. the carpetbagger talent, right? So to speak. Um, yep. And uh, there's got to be a better way to crack that nut. So yeah, that's interesting. Um, cool. So have you have you do you do you, uh, do you miss the the beautiful weather and scenery and of of the greater Houston area yet? You know what? Other other than like just like the relationship that I built with everybody down there, it's like people. Like you obviously miss the people. You know what I miss the most more than the weather is the food. Really? Like you don't feel? Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like where we live, though. You figure, and I don't know. You're out in the boondocks, so you're probably like 20 minutes away from a grocery store. Um, but where we were was it was awesome. It was like I would talk with Kristen. And just be like, hey, like, what are we feeling tonight? And she'd be like, uh, let's do Chinese food. And be like, oh, done, like five minutes away. Well, y'all were, y'all were in Midtown, here, right? What? Were y- y'all were in Midtown? We were in Oak Forest. Um, so we would just hop into the Heights. All right, gotcha, all gotcha. So, but it was like you were, I would say like you were five minutes from like five-star food in, in Texas where we were at. Here, it's like, Sure, you want to go get Chinese? That's fine. You can go get Chinese, but you just have to understand that it's probably like two and a half star. What? So what? I'm I'm almost afraid to ask. Um, what's good in Michigan for food? So there's phenomenal food in Michigan. Like, don't get me wrong. You just got to drive to get there. Um, so d- speaking of the revitalization of Detroit, uh, Detroit is a food heaven. Um, you can get absolutely anything you want style wise in Detroit and it is really good. Surely, but surely I can't get good. good enchiladas. You can. Really? I bet you can. I bet you can. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's, there's not many. Um, they're few and far between. Uh, there's obviously, there, there's a lot of European influence in Detroit. Uh, a lot of Polish people, uh, you can get phenomenal pierogies, uh, a lot of great Italian food around here. Um, there's a some a lot of like interesting like Asian fusion type stuff uh, going on with different people in the city. Um, a lot of nice like upscale restaurants too. Um, but like I said, it's just like and there's always the the uh, the perennial Jets pizza. Jets. Oh, dude, Jets. What pizza. is Jets yeah. pizza? Is this a, is this like a like a thing, like a like a chain, or is this like a legit local place? Oh, it's a chain. No, it's a chain. Um, 
it's uh you know what there's actually i'm gonna put you on the map here um to jets jets pizza and there is one in the tech in texas for sure really uh, i think it's yeah all right oh there's one up in uh up in tomball area up by uh hooks airport oh wow all right that's right around the corner yeah that's what i'm saying all right i'm gonna have to um, check out jets pizza is this yeah is this a jets detroit pizza that's migrated down here founded yeah so um Founded in in Michigan here by the Jet family. Uh, I actually know the Jet family, um, and they've expanded their. I don't know. Can we call? I guess you can call them nationwide if they span from uh, Michigan to Texas. Um, but they're on like every corner around here, uh, just like a Little Caesars is, and it's just like good solid pizza. Like, oh. You're never disappointed with Jets. I'm gonna check it out. You gotta get a. You gotta get a large though, so that you can get it in square format. Not a circle format. Oh, I got to go for the large to get like the big rectangle square cut thing? Yeah, it's not like a huge, it's not going to be like a huge, huge, like you can't fit it in your car type thing. But it's like only their larges come in the in the square format. But can yeah. I, can I get the square cut and the thin crust? Not at Jets. Oh. That's, not, that's not the way to go. <laughs> Well, we may have to take we may have to take that off the table then. I, I just this thin crust hey, is where it's that's at. fine. You're only hurting yourself, but that's all right. <laughs> I understand. All right. Hey, this was awesome. I'm always amazed to look down at the clock and go, "Holy cow, we've been at this for an hour and twenty minutes." Um, yeah, yeah, it's super wild. It just flies by, man. I'm I'm so happy I got to talk to you. I mean, I haven't I haven't talked to you really other than the odd text here and there since you left. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I think honestly, I, I know I joked about it, um, you know, at the, at the beginning, but I, I think I got like some unadulterated nuggets during this discussion about Texas lacrosse. That's that was good, good stuff. See, this has been, uh, like you said, I think like one of the most valuable things to um, to do is just have uh, like open, honest discussion about different stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, <clears throat> um, yeah, for sure. For sure, for sure. Before you go, I got my, my THSLL solution. Oh, you have a solution? I've said this, I've said this all along, that it's got to be a relegation model. Just like you look at the Premier League and all the soccer leagues out there in Europe. Um, if you don't perform, you drop down. You perform well, you go up. Have it be a two-year deal. Um, and uh, I think that will put people where they're supposed to be to get the most competitive brand of lacrosse. All right, I'll, I'll leave that hanging there, and we'll have to get do together. that. We'll get together again, and we'll debate that one. Sounds like a plan. All right.